G'day guys, thanks for listening to the Noob Spiro podcast today and joining the illustrious Turbo and I in studio. Now, I don't know about you, but I love to save money on spearfishing equipment. When I want to buy a spear gun, there's nothing I like better than saving $20. That's right, you can use the code noobspiro at spearfishing.com.au to save $20 on all purchases over $200. That goes along with cheap shipping worldwide and a 90-day no-hassles returns policy. You can also visit Adreno in their physical stores in Melbourne, Sydney or Brisbane. Check out a huge range of equipment and get advice from more than 60 underwater equipment experts. That's right, support the Noob Spiro podcast by shopping with our sponsor, spearfishing.com.au and thank you for joining us today. G'day and welcome to today's episode of the Noob Spiro podcast. Today we're speaking with Ted Harty from Immersion Freediving. Ted is a very experienced freediving instructor. He's instructed a lot of people and brought a lot of new people into the sport of uh, freediving and spearfishing. And he's an expert on equalization techniques. So we know that it's a major problem for people out there coming into the sport. And uh, Ted is an expert in this field. And we speak to Ted all about free uh, equalizing and what you can do to improve your equalization and uh, what you can do to change your technique to make equalizing easier for you. Ted also speaks to us about competitive freediving. He's got a very funny story about uh, competing internationally um, with some of Europe's greats. So uh, that's a very great story. It's a very funny story. So uh, tune in for that. And uh, we also speak to Ted about some practical tips for being a good buddy and good buddy protocol because it's so important out there to stay safe and keep your buddies safe. So, but before we get into that, I just want to say a quick thank you to... Um, everyone that signed on to the Noob Spiro Floater newsletter, uh, there's been a, a lot of lot of interest in that in the last um, couple of weeks. So thank you for signing on to that. If you've signed on to that, if not, get on it. It's fantastic. Also, thank you to Mitchell Marriott for uh, coming up with the idea for our 101 on sharks. So Mitchell's given us a bit of a nudge in uh, the direction that he wants us to come up with a 101 on sharks and how to deal with sharks. So we've contacted a bunch of guys around the world uh, so far, particularly in South Africa. So Rene Nell is a guy uh, in South Africa that was attacked by a great white shark. So uh, we get his thoughts and his story about uh, great whites. Um, we're also going to talk to Dr. Richard Pellins. Uh, he's got a, he's a wealth of knowledge on uh, the shark front. And also I want to say a quick thank you to... Niall, I think I'm saying that right, Niall uh, in South Africa, mate, uh, looking forward to working with you on a few few upcoming projects, so thanks for reaching out to us, and so that's that's basically it for me, and uh, without further ado, I'll throw it over to Shrek and we'll get into this interview with Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving. I wanted to share awesome experiences that you can have when you are in the water. And that's why I started spearfishing. I just clamped down on the reel and got drugged down to about 50 feet. And I'd never had a battle like that before in my life. But when you're learning where to hunt and find fish, they're the hot spots. It's where fish want to be. Don't overcomplicate your gear. Don't go diving dressed up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> I actually started off in stubbies with a bloody belt with a pig knife on it. And I've seen this big fin break the surface, roll into the water, look down. Here's this nice big great white. Oh. <laughs> Once your face hits the water and you feel relaxed and all the other stresses of life seem to disappear. It's a whole new world and it's mysterious, it's magical. Beats the shit out of knitting anyway. Oh yeah. Thanks for listening today, Noob Spiro community. It's awesome to have you with us. Today we have joining us from 
Fort Lauderdale in the US, Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving. Welcome to the show, Ted. Thanks, thanks, I look forward to being here. It's uh, It's been a long time coming. I've tried to book you a few times in the past. You're a busy man. Busy is good. Yeah. <laughs> and getting busier by the looks of it, there's uh, all sorts of stuff going on with Immersion Freediving on Facebook at the moment. Uh, I think just recently you've had five videos uh, all sort of focused around uh, safety for spear fishermen. Um, it's definitely put you firmly on the radar for Noob Spiro. Also, um, probably 18 months ago, my friend told me about a equalizing um, session he did over Skype with you, and uh, he had some big issues getting down, and uh, so you helped him make the shift to Frenzel, I believe. Yeah, so yeah, I remember working with him, but super, super common issue, right? People get stuck at 15, 30 feet, and they think it's a billion other things is the reason they get stuck, but the reality is it's because they can't do frenzel. Until you do frenzel, you're going to be stuck at 50, 30 feet most of the time. Yeah, okay. And uh, so, yeah, so bridging the gap from Valsalva to frenzel is, a, is definitely a big issue, and hopefully we can get to that later on in the interview when we get to Veterans Fault. For now, Ted... Um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started sort of in the underwater world and what your experience has been with spearfishing? So I got started, uh, you know, I started scuba diving uh, kind of really late in life, probably in uh, mid-2000, uh, late 2000. And, uh, you know, so I started scuba diving. I loved it. You know, we'll do it on vacation. And I basically got suckered in. Uh, to being a scuba instructor because of the whole, you know, live the dream, paychecks in paradise, beers and bikinis. And, <laughs> man, that sounded good to me. So I signed up. Yeah. And, uh, me too. Yeah. So, <laughs> what a dad. <laughs> what a great sales yeah. pitch. Um, so, <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I, so I, I worked in the Keys and I, you know, I loved it. I was a busy dive instructor. I worked at a very busy shop. I got to teach all the time. And so that was awesome. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, then I guess it was in 2008. That's when I took my first free diving class. And that's basically where I say pretty much ruined my life because then, you know, I didn't want to go, uh, you know, scuba diving on my day off. I wanted to go free diving and I wanted to go spear fishing. So then I started uh, doing a lot of spear fishing to the Keys. Um, so, which is where almost most of my spear fishing is. And uh, so I was doing that, uh, you know, while I was teaching scuba, I go free diving on my day off, go uh, spear fishing on my day off. And then um, all was well. And then in 2009, I took the instructor program with performance freediving. It was the first program that they had ever offered. So for me, it was a it was a no brainer. I mean, it wasn't like I was a stockbroker and this freediving class came across my radar. I was a free, I was a scuba instructor anyway. I like doing freediving better than scuba, so I'm like, sign me up. So I went there and took that uh, instructor program. And there was like six or seven of us in the program. So two of us passed. Uh, they uh, hired me on the spot to start working directly with performance freediving and running the office in Fort Lauderdale. So I did that for two years. It was great. I got to do a lot of uh, direct work with Kirk and Mandy, who you know are amazing, and the folks that started performance freediving. Then at some point, I branched out and started immersion around 2010. And now people come to my house every weekend to learn to freedive. So I'm not really sure how that happened, but that's where I am. <laughs> And the parallels between scuba instruction and freediving instruction. So from, from scuba instruction with my brief stint at it, I remember filling tanks, servicing rigs and BCD, <laughs> BCDs, sweeping down just shit off the boat and all sorts of other horrible tasks. What's the transition like to being a freediving uh, trainer? Like, what, is, it, is it heaps better, a lot less prep, less gear, I guess? You know, they, they say like, oh, freediving is great because there's no gear, right? Well, 
Yeah, that's yeah. true. Until you start teaching free diving, and then you've got rigs and floats and bags, and you know, I, I would argue I got more gear teaching free diving than I did in scuba. But uh, yeah, okay. you know, I like. I like it because uh, at least, you know, because my situation is unique is that I don't have to deal with the dive shop, right? Yeah. There is no dive shop. You know, it's just me and my boat and it's just, I just do it the way I want to do it. So it's, uh, works out really good for me. Cool. All right. And you're not like those, those open water dives, like in sand and five meters, just doing the same exercises. Free diving's probably got a lot more risk associated though. So what's your class size like? And, um, and, and sort of how often are you running? courses i uh so i limit my courses to a max of five per class and then i run um, i run three to four courses uh, a month basically i have one weekend which is a kathy weekend where i am absolutely not allowed to teach free diving class <laughs> so i <laughs> get to have some time with kathy and then other than that i'm wide open so i've been running basically three to four classes a month and then with one weekend off okay cool all right, just to go back and sort of have a look at your spearfishing experience. So you, you sort of mucked around a bit in the keys. Were you using a pole spear or a spear gun? Like, um, what did that look like? Oh, no, I was using a uh, AB Biller, 48 uh, AB Biller, which is the, you know, it's the brand that our dive shop sells. So that's, that's of course, what I used. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was all um, what I used. And then it wasn't until 2000. 10 i got a, a wong spear gun and uh absolutely got a hybrid and uh loved that yeah. and now it's just a fact that i rarely get a chance to use it yeah 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 okay well what about a memorable fish story like can you can you remember uh does any does a story stick out to you if, well, maybe I, you in your spearfishing experience the first uh time i shot a fish with that wong um so I went out diving with it and I'd used the biller forever. And, you know, Daryl Wong will even tell you it's, you know, it's, it's anyone can whack fish with any gun. It's not the gun. Like once you know how to use the gun, you can do it. And so the AB biller, I could whack fish with it all the time. And I had gotten used to the fact that there was quite a significant drop, uh, when lining up on the fish, I had to, you know, take care of that drop. So I had no problem with that. Um, cause that was the only gun I ever used. And then when I switched to the Wong, I remember actually missing the first fish because I was, you know, I didn't expect that the gun would it would go where I pointed it. I was expecting yeah, the shaft, right. shaft to drop so much, and so <laughs> yeah. I, I remember you know after like you know two shots, I'm like, oh, you just like point it where you want it to go. You don't have to take care of that. And so <laughs> yeah, yeah. I shot no, no holdover needed. Yeah, so then I sh I remember shooting a mutton snapper at like 70 feet, and it was you know it was a long shot, and it was just I just you know it was a prayer shot, and I just you know I got lucky and got it, but I just know for a doubt I would have never got that fish with the with the biller. It brings up an interesting point. Like um, a lot of a lot of guys have trouble switching guns. Like um, it doesn't sort of matter how experienced you get either. You get dialed in on one gun, and that's just sort of what guys stick to. And they they swear by their guns, but really it's yeah. just the fact they've got used to it, and they they actually can't change. And uh, it's very common. It's hard to adapt to new technology, especially spear guns. Yeah. So I so, tell you, no, I'll, cool. I'll tell you something really cool. Daryl Daryl did. So I took the spearfishing course with Daryl Wong. He did that in 2009 and 2010. And what I thought was really smart is they had a uh, basically it was an underwater shooting range. So they had you know some PVC pipes where they put some imagine like chicken wire it wasn't chicken wire but it was something like that material. And then they had an outline of a fish uh, and more PVC pipes. And so what was happening is you were shooting you know at the fish. And because the gun, I mean, the shaft would go through that netting or whatever it was, you could see precisely where you shot. 
So you could see yeah, how right. much drop was happening. And so you were, you know, he let us try all these different guns. And so you could actually see uh, the, you know, how accurate or not accurate, you know, the gun was. So I thought that was pretty slick. That was a, a lot uh, more advanced than when I used to take like, you know, spear, like beginning spear fishermen and have them shoot it like balloons underwater. I thought that was pretty fancy. So uh, I thought yeah, no, that's what cool. they were doing was pretty slick. I'd like that. I'd love to do an underwater um, spear gun range. That'd be fantastic. All right, so... But you wouldn't actually put a fish under there. You'd just cut the gut area out of the fish, and that's probably what you'd chase. He's referring to my poor shooting uh, record. He loves Ted. a gut shot, this bloke. Yeah. But, um, look, we, we, we've sort of got an idea of your, your, your background now, and, um, you know, Clearly, you're you're very you're a very experienced freediving instructor, and um, spearfishing is something that you sort of do opportunistically. However, um, for our next section, we normally do hunting technique. I was wondering if we could do a maybe a freediving technique. What's what sort of maybe one way guys could increase their time on the bottom? So it's it's pretty simple. I mean, so people call me on the phone and they say, Hey Ted, you know, I want to sign up for your course. You know, if, if you, if, if you think I could, if you could give me 10 extra seconds, bottom time, like I'd sign up and like right now, if you could tell me I get 10 <laughs> seconds, bottom time. And so, because I'm kind of a smart ass, I say, look, if all you want is 10 extra seconds, bottom time, save your money. Don't take the course. Just wait an extra minute before you dive instant increase in bottom time. Right. So, nice. So what I like is uh, using dive computers, right? So computers are getting a little more uh, uh, common and because the price is going down and, you know, spear fishermen are starting to see the value of them. But the, one of the things that will help a spear fisherman is if you had a dive computer that had um, – that just showed your surface interval, how long you were waiting between dives, and then you looked at your bottom time. And if you did every yep. single dive and you looked at those two numbers, you would not surprisingly find there's quite a strong correlation with how long you wait on the surface for how long your dive time is. And spearfishermen will do anything to increase their bottom time. Yeah, so, nice. So the idea is look at how you know look at yourself. You'll you'll quickly see it is in your interest to when you have the opportunity to wait more. Wait more, and certainly, you know, if you're diving in the shallows, you know, you're spotting fish from the surface, so maybe, you know, you don't have that luxury. But once you start hunting past, you know, 40, 50 feet, you're not typically spotting fish from the surface. In fact, what you're doing is you're trying to breathe up on the surface and, you know, put your body in good a state as you can, so that you can get the longest dive time you can. So when you start diving deeper like that, it definitely makes makes sense to wait longer, so that you can go down and get the job done on one dive, and not have to make multiple dives. Yeah, awesome. That's very practical too. So, look, you you teach spearfishermen predominantly in your courses. Um, what's one dive watch or dive computer that you sort of recommend to the guys, and 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 what do you sort of recommend to to um, pull up the data and have a look at it and and uh, do do some basic analysis on it? Well, so the. I have two answers. So the Sunito D4i is it's my favorite dive computer. You can hook it up to the uh, you can hook it up to the computer and get a lot of the data on it. But the, the the problem I have with it, it's awesome. It's an awesome computer. The problem I have with yeah. it is two. One, it's a scuba and free diving computer. I have tons of my you know students. They don't scuba, mm. so now they're yeah, paying yeah. they're paying for something mm. they wouldn't use. The D4i is pretty expensive. It's like seven hundred bucks here in the US. Wow. So another computer that I've started uh, fooling around with, I, I don't haven't used it nearly as much as the D4, which I've been starting to recommend is the um, Mares uh, Smart Apnea Watch because okay. most freediving computers do way more than spear fishermen need. 
right? They don't. Yeah, they, they, sure. they, they're come from a background of competitive freedivers. And yeah, as a competitive freediver, you know, I might actually want three alarms on my watch. I might actually use those things. <laughs> the spear fisherman doesn't need them, right? I mean, yeah. so, you know, the I would argue the more basic, the better. But anyway, so that, that smart um, Mares is about, I believe it retails for 400. Um, I'm not entirely unsure, you know, how you, if it hooks up to the computer and stuff like that. But, but all you need to do is just every time you hit the surface, look at your, you know, you'll know what your surface interval was, see what your bottom time was and figure it out yourself. And you'll figure out that it's in your interest to wait more. Okay. So for a guy like Turbo, that's, you know, here we go. <clears throat> he's, up. he's down for, you know, all of 40 seconds on a good dive. <laughs> How much sort of surface interview? Like, are you doubling it? Or are you tripling it? Like, is there a, is there a figure you go for? Like, well, I mean, in, so everyone will tell you double your double your surface interval, right? That's pretty much what yeah. what anyone will tell you. And all I'll say is, yeah. that's the minimum, right? That's the minimum okay. you want to do. And instead of giving you some magic ratio to use, just look at it yourself, right? Look look at you know how long you're waiting and looking what your thing is and you'll figure out what's what works best for you, which is better than me telling you to use some arbitrary ratio. Yeah, nice. Okay, good answer. Love that. What's um what's a, what's the scariest moment you've you've had either either freediving or spearfishing and uh, what did you take away from it? What the scariest moment I had freediving is kind of unusual. Um uh, it's not it didn't it's not it wasn't scary when it happened. It was scary now that I know what I know, right? Okay, <laughs> so I'll give you an example. So, you know, when I'm in class, I'm always saying, like, do this, don't do this. And, you know, the spear fishermen, you know, aren't doing any of the stuff that I'm saying when they come into the course. And, and I try to explain to them, look, I'm not, you know, I was not perfect spear fisherman, freediver guy. Before I took the course, I was doing all sorts of dumb stuff. In fact, I would argue I was doing dumber stuff than what most of my <laughs> students are doing. And so here's an example, right? So I sucked at freediving, right? So I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't believe how those guys could stay down there so long. So I asked the captain of the boat, I said, look, how do those guys stay down there so long? He's like, you know, I'm like, I go down there for 20 seconds and I feel like I want to die. And so he goes, oh, well, all you got to do is just practice holding your breath underwater. Well, damn, that makes sense, right? <laughs> so, okay. So he goes, yeah, so once you get the customers off the boat, just throw a down line down because I'm in 20 foot of water at Sombrero. He goes, just put a down line down and, and, and just practice holding your breath underwater. I'm like, okay, that's cool. So I'm sitting, you know, 20 feet underwater looking at my stopwatch, you know, two eight-pound weights on my weight belt with no wetsuit doing underwater statics unsupervised. And I'm sitting here having <laughs> contractions, right? <laughs> and so I'd come up at, you know, a minute and so i would go into the dive shop and i would write on the board ted one minute so then the next <laughs> dive master comes in and is like oh the hell with that i can do way better than that stupid ted can so he's sitting down there you know and then he comes in the next day scratches out mine puts 107 i come in the next day i'm like oh that's a bunch of horseshit right 107 i can beat that right so we are doing and now we're competitive amongst ourselves amongst <laughs> the staff and before i took the free diving course i got up to two minutes and 15 seconds <laughs> underwater unsupervised stupidly overweighted statics and i don't and i don't think that's as dumb as the other one i used to do so the other one i used to oh, do so the captain said oh well, if you want to if you want to get better at uh you know free diving oh one he told me to hyperventilate a bunch so i forgot about that so i'm like no, so then he said no no no." that's he goes, pretty no. common though oh yeah and it worked i mean you, you know you hyperventilate it lets you stay down longer i didn't understand that it was you know it, i didn't understand that it was reducing the oxygen supply i just knew that it delayed the urge to breathe but anyway so yeah. they say uh he said, yeah, yeah, the, the reason, you know, you can't freedive is your your CO2 tolerance is too low. You need to develop a higher tolerance to CO2. And 
to me, I'm like, wow, that sounds like super scientific. This guy knows what he's talking about. Well, how do I do that? <laughs> and he goes, oh, well, all you do is just, you know, so when you're out at Sombrero's 20 foot of water, you just do a, just do a dive, come up and you only get one breath and then you do it again and you see how many times you can do it. Right. So when I started, I could only do that twice. It was awful. Right. As soon as I come up, I mean, it was awful. But, you know, now yeah. I'm practicing that drill because the captain told me it was a good drill. And by the time I took the free diving class, I could do that eight times. Right. So between, between those two things, I mean, I am so lucky I'm here because I was just marching down the road you know, to having a blackout. And I can promise you, I was stupidly overweighted and there was no one watching me. So, you know, it's just, you know, I I didn't know any better, right? I did. And I was a dive instructor. I knew more about dive physics and physiology than the average Joe. And I was actively trying to kill myself. I took the freediving class and was like, holy crap. Like I should stop all of that immediately because once I knew better, obviously I did stop. So you did suicidal statics. You did, um, (laughs) Oh no! Sorry, we'll call that we'll call that stupid static suicidal CO two tables and a hyperventilation one hundred and one. Yeah. You you are you you did have a dangerous story. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> There's several scary moments. Probably there. actually survive a nuclear bomb. This boat. <laughs> G'day guys, if you're new to spear fishing, I highly recommend listening to our episode freediving for spearfishing with Pete Ryder. Pete uh, is an entrepreneur and an excellent freedive instructor and he has come up with two great courses, the 10 meter freedive and the 5 minute freediver. I've used the 5 minute freediver to increase my bottom time, found it incredibly useful for my trip to the Coral Sea and I cannot recommend it highly enough. His other course at 10 meter freediver is a great resource for those just starting out that literally want to get to 10 meters and this course will help you learn proper breathing technique and some of the safety aspects associated with freediving. Use the code NOOBSPIRO to save 20% on all of Pete's courses. He's put together this deal just for listeners of the show. That's at howtofreedive.com. Use the code NOOBSPIRO. Right, moving on to the next part of the show. It's called Veterans Vault, and that's where we ask our special guests to take us deep into an area of their spearfishing or, in this case, freediving expertise. Yeah. So. I wanted to divide this up into sort of two parts. So I wanted to really dig into some um, equalizing questions, some common things that we've sort of had from guys, uh, some listeners. And also, uh, I believe you've got a bulletproof buddy protocol for us. There may be some tips about how to how to just stick to your buddy better and actually be a good buddy. Absolutely. All right, cool. Let's start with the buddy stuff. All right, yeah. No worries. Bulletproof buddy protocol. Let's go. Fire away, Ted. So... You, uh, before we started, got on the call, you were talking about how, like, you'll be out with your buddy and you both start with good intentions, but you're both leaders and you sort of just and end up hating each other and not sticking together. Yeah, exactly right. So, what's sort of what's the system or this idea that you've come across, Ted, that can help us to stick to our buddies better? Well, I I I noticed this working on a dive boat, working in scuba. You know, you'd get the couple that. Come, you know, they get separated the whole dive trip and they get on the boat hollering at each other, like, you know, she never, you know, and they're always screaming at each other. And I remember this one couple. <laughs> Sounds like me and Turbo. <laughs> and so they said they wanted to, they said, oh, we need to take a navigation course from you. I said, you don't need to take a course from me. I can fix this in like 20 seconds. And they're like, well, how could you? We never can stay together. And I said, okay, who is the designated leader and who's the designated follower? 
And they're like, uh, I'm like, exactly. You're both the leaders. That's why you guys can't keep and can't keep together. So when I started spearfishing after taking the course, obviously I wanted to do what was right and safe. But the issue was we kept getting separated and we're hollering and screaming at each other about who's supposed to be watching who. So then I just realized, oh, duh, I just do the same thing that I teach in scuba. So the idea is you get in the water and one person's designated the leader, one person's the follower. So the leader gets to go wherever they want. The follower has no say in the matter, doesn't talk. All the follower does is follows the leader's fin tips, face down, following the fin tips, wherever they go. Now, when that leader wants to make a drop, he doesn't have to turn around and say, hey, watch me, I'm about to make a dive because, no, 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 because you agreed that that follower is going to be right behind him. So now when the leader makes a drop, the follower's there. When the, the guy comes up, he's right there close enough to grab, watches him for 30 seconds, and then immediately positions are switched. Now, the other guy is the follower. The other guy is the leader. The leader gets to go wherever he wants to go. And, you know, there's just no discussion necessary. And this this thing just goes back and forth between each other. Works out really well. Cool. All right. All right. And, I mean, this th- that's a great idea. So a little bit of communication on the boat before you jump in. I'll lead you for. Oh, I'll lead or preferably the first person would say I'll follow and then the other person can lead, I guess. Is that the way you do it? No, it doesn't matter. Sometimes sometimes when you're out with Spiros and you're unfamiliar, like there's quite often a lot of dominant personalities. So I guess someone has to take the the step of just going, oh, I'll I'll follow straight up. So, okay, cool. All right. What Uh, uh, What else makes for good buddy protocol out there, Ted? What else can they do? It's this. It's, here's the thing. Right? Of all the things, this is the one, right? If I could somehow wave my magic wand and make all spear fishermen do this, I would get rid of almost every single fatality in the sport. And it's simply be close enough to grab when your buddy surfaces, right? You have to be. Well, you, you can do whatever you want, but if you, when your buddy surfaces, you need to be close enough to grab. Otherwise, you can't fix it, right? The average spear fisherman surfaces, his buddy is 50 to 100 feet down the reef trying to shoot a bigger fish than him so they can put it on Instagram, right? So it's the competition aspect that puts the, that makes spear fishermen not want to uh, work as a buddy team because they're all working against each other. But the problem is, you know, unless you've got 50 foot arms, if your buddy comes up 50 foot away from you and blacks out, you can't do anything about it. Right. And considering the fact yeah. that most spearfish, when they black out, they sink down to the bottom of the ocean. That's a problem. Right. So to yeah. in order to be effective as a buddy, you have to be close enough to grab. Otherwise, you're pretty much just diving by yourself. Mm. OK, so we've got a, we're, we're, we've got a leader. We've got a follower. We're staying within arm's reach. What's a great tip for keeping an eye on your buddy in dirty water? Yeah, so that's a, a great point, right? So, you know, I, you know, myself and all the other freediving instructors talk about watch your buddy, right? And then my students from Boston are like, look, Ted, maybe in fantasy land where you, where you dive and can actually see things, right? Where I dive, right? You know, if I can see my hand, I'm like, hey, that's not that bad. Let's go whack some fish, right? So they dive in crap viz all the time. Um, there's really only one solution to that. Right. And that's putting a float line on the gun. I mean, that's really about all you can do. I mean, so a lot of, you know, obviously spearfishermen use float lines for a variety of reasons. Um, You know, not a lot of them are to do with safety. But if you're going to dive in crap viz, that's really the only thing you can do to, you know, have some sort of idea where this person is going to be. Now, the things you can do is you can uh, make yourself more visible by putting yellow tape on the weight belt, yellow tape on the snorkel, make that Uh, pop and stand out a bit. But I mean, depending Mm -hmm. on how deep and how dark it is, that may or may not do the job 
stuff. Okay, now that's some good actionable ones. I mean, sometimes the water is just dirty, so you just take the steps that you can to be within arm's reach when they arrive back at the surface. So all good things. Yesterday I watched a video on immersion freediving, and it was talking about uh, feeling fine before a blackout. Like you, you never know when one's coming on. And um, we interviewed a guy from Texas a little while ago and he had a serious blackout and his buddy was within reach and uh, everything ended up being all right, but they were diving on an oil rig in about 80 feet of water and he felt fine. Uh, and later on he shared his footage, the GoPro footage of that, and he put it up online and he got roasted. People were all about criticizing him uh, for, for everything from hyperventilating to um, you know not having enough surface interval and all the rest of it. But he said, my biggest takeaway from the experience was always have a buddy. And uh, you know, so all these points you, you've made are, are spot on. But um, can you sort of walk us through the physiology of feeling fine? before a blackout like what why, why don't we notice it coming on why are we unlikely to notice it well so here's the reason why i mean everyone most people have sat on the couch and held their breath before right i mean even joe blow off the street's done that before now if you were to think about how that feels you you hold your breath you sit on the couch take a big breath and you hold it in the first 30 seconds minute minute and a half depending on your freediving ability you feel fine and then you know over time it starts to become uncomfortable contraction you know, stronger contraction, they start coming more frequently, it starts to become really uncomfortable, and it starts to become god awful. And you're wondering why the hell am I still holding my breath, right? It gets very uncomfortable towards the end. So it is totally logical to think that same process would happen coming up from a dive. But it it doesn't. And the answer is quite complicated and has to do with, you know, the partial pressure of oxygen, all this sort of stuff. But the idea is when you come up from a dive in the ocean, because the partial pressure of oxygen drops extremely rapidly, you know, that lasts especially 15 feet to the surface, that's why you go from feeling totally fine to blackout. So here's the thing, right? So if you talk to people that have had these blackouts, they'll typically say, yeah, I, I had no idea I blacked out. I felt totally fine, right? And now thanks to all the spearfishing of GoPros, I see so many videos of people getting rescued and when they come to, they, you know, one, don't believe they blacked out, and two will say, no, I couldn't know because I felt fine on that dive, right? So, you, you know, because the partial pressure drops in most circumstances, you wouldn't know that anything is wrong. Yet the problem is, you know, almost all spear fishermen say things like, look, Ted, I appreciate all the safety stuff, but I don't push it. I mean, I know my limits. I've, I've never really had a problem. I just come up before I would black out. But if the reality is, you know, you talk to people that have had these blackouts, they don't know that it's coming on. I'm, you know, I'm telling you, not that I convinced you in this little bit of time, but the part, the physics proves that you wouldn't know it's coming on, right? And if you see videos, which I'll link, I'll give you guys a link to uh, some good videos of spearfishermen blacking out, you can clearly see they have no idea that anything is wrong. That when you tell yourself, I'm immune to all these silly little rules because I don't push myself and I know my limits. I mean, it's just bunk, right? It's what every spear fisherman says to make themselves immune to the rules. And that you're obviously you're welcome to do that. And that'll work. That might work for 20 years until it doesn't. The, mm. pen, the penalty for a mistake in this sport is too severe. When scuba divers make a mistake, they get ow, ow, my shoulder. Ah, it hurts. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta go to the, I gotta go to the chamber. Holy crap! How much does that cost? I wish I had Dan insurance, right? They can fix that. Right? That's totally fixable, right? Sinking down to the bottom of the ocean because your buddy's 100 feet away from you, you don't fix that. That'll kill you every time. There is dropping a, a, a tank on your foot too. That's pretty severe, but nothing like spearfishing. You're right. There's a 
are terrible costs for mistakes, especially if you don't have a good buddy. So it's a great section. Um, have you got anything else to add to Bulletproof Buddy Protocol, Ted? Okay, so not only do you want to be close enough to grab, there's another thing that most people don't understand. And one of the things I say a lot in class is so much of this stuff is not intuitive. And so here's another example. If you look at, I mean, of all the blackouts that I've seen, right, and go to competitions and stuff is part of the sport. You see a lot of it. Most of them, they come up, they take one breath, look totally fine. Take a second breath. They look totally fine. They look me in the eye, they give me the okay sign, and then they black out, right? So the issue is when someone comes up and looks fine and gives you an okay sign, it's pretty, it seems pretty reasonable that you can go do your dive. But the reality is that's not the way the physiology works, right? So that's why we have to watch them for no less than 30 seconds is they typically, if you look at a dive that ends in a blackout, they'll typically take two or three breaths possibly look you square in the eye, say they're okay, and then black out. So we can't just go by what we see at first. We got to watch them for no less than 30 seconds. So guys that do a freediving course, um, hook breathing can help overcome a bit of that. Is that something you teach in your courses, Ted? Yeah, absolutely. So hook breathing is, is something we teach in all the courses. Uh, the PFI course is actually developed by Kirk, uh, the founder of Performance Freediving. Another thing I got out of my freediving course, and it was fairly recent, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I'd done surf lifesaving and scuba diving, and um, but I hadn't, uh, I, and so I thought shallow water blackout, no worries, I know how to sort of get someone up and alive, and uh, I, I know how to do mouth-to-mouth -mouth and all that, but actually drilling it out in the pool when you do uh, a course is just phenomenal, like just by the time you've done it two or three times and just drilled it, and preferably in the open ocean, you, you've, you've just got a much better handle on it, is that... Is that something you, you watch regularly as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, they're doing that every day they're in the pool. I mean, I think one time I counted it, and I think it was like at a minimum they have to do like 16 or 17 rescues. I mean, they're just doing it over and over and over and over and over again practicing. But, uh, I mean, I've had, you know, to my knowledge that I know of, I've had seven, I believe, uh, students of mine save someone from a blackout. Oh, wow. wow. That's a good record. That's awesome. Yeah, but, I mean, it's yeah. – it, it works, right? I mean, if you, if you, you know, following the procedures and if, you know, taking a free diving course doesn't make you safe. Following the procedures that were taught in that course make you safe. Ted, you're all, you're all across this safety stuff, mate. One of the things that we often do is go out in rough weather. Usually I'm vomiting, but I'm still out there. But, um, mate, if you're out being a boaty, can you give us some tips for keeping an eye on your divers? in rough weather well so here's a, a tip that i learned from uh, eric pinon he's uh, a french free diver he's a pfi instructor but he was you know he's from france uh he is a uh, uh he used to own the salt north america very avid avid spear fisherman so uh they used to dive in you know rough uh, bad water and so the idea is look you're you do you're trying to do everything you can right you're trying to keep eye on your buddy. You're trying to do what you can, but you know, shit happens, right? You get separated, you got bad water. I mean, hell, if you're in four foot seas, you know, your head's not, my head's not four foot tall. I mean, you, you could be where you're actually near each other, but you're on the wrong side of the wave, right? So here's the deal. If I'm diving with my guys, if I come up to the surface and my buddy is not literally staring me in my face, here's what I know. I know at that exact moment in time, my buddy is actually looking for me. I know he didn't just go down and, and shoot a fish because I, I don't dive with people like that, right? So I know he's looking for me. I know we got separated. So the idea, as soon as I come up and I don't see them because of the you know waves or whatnot, I raise the gun over my head 
and I make loud, obnoxious noise. <laughs> now, that person is looking for me. What does he hear? He hears loud, obnoxious noise, and all he has to do is do 1360, and he sees the gun over the a gun over the waves, he knows right where I am. So it's just a good way to help bring to get separated if you get separated because of the waves. Oh. Cool. I'll never lose Shrek because he's constantly making loud, obnoxious noises, but they, they, they're they a little bit lower in, um, in in volume than that. Let's be honest, I'm always within arm's reach too. Normally with, <laughs> normally with my hand just calmly over his shoulder, just guiding him. So. On the hips, guiding me down. <laughs> Anyways. Okay, cool. Uh, buddy, Bulletproof Buddy Protocol, anything else, Turbo? Any more questions, Ted? Any more comments? Nope. Cool. Let's move on to equalising. Yeah. All right, so I've had... We had an equalising thread a while ago, and I did my best to answer some of these questions, but I know you can do a better job, Ted. So some of the guys that asked questions were Ty Eldridge, Hung Vung, uh, Harley Fulton, and Nick Pearson. I'll do my best to sort of sum up some of their questions. But one guy asked about pro plugs. What's your take on these? Have you used them yourself? What do they do, and how much roughly do they cost? I wouldn't fool with those things, right? They, 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 so all they supposedly do is stop water from going in the ear like you put but put the thing in your ear there they allow they're the one of the few earplugs that allow you to um equalize your ears with the earplugs right okay so they just stop the water from going in the ear so in my mind they're going to be they're good for people that get ear infections a lot right you're trying to stop water from getting ear because some people are prone to ear infections but but the thing is they sell them as a way to help equalizing and almost all equalizing problems comes from not doing frenzel, right? And so those things ain't going to help you do frenzel. So in my opinion, on most circumstances, you're still going to have whatever issues you have. Um, they, you know, our dive shop used to sell them, you know, people, they would say, oh, they're great for scuba. They're great. And so people would buy them because people, someone told them they're great. And then they come out and they, I mean, I didn't mind it because they keep losing them. I keep selling them to them. But I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I personally am not a big fan of those. I, I, I don't really – I would think the only thing that they're really helpful for is people that are prone to getting ear infection because they are going to help water get out of the ear. But I don't see how they can help you equalize. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, next question. ENTs, the ear, nose, and throat specialists. How do you find a good one that understands diving and specifically freediving effects on physiology? Uh that's very hard. So, I mean, I've certainly, I had one ENT that I went to that I had an ear infection and, and, you know, he was telling me it was, it was, uh, what did he say? Oh, it was TMJ is what I had. I'm like, it was from, it was from, <laughs> it, had, it had nothing to do with the water. You know, I'm like, I have a freaking ear infection. Like I'm a die. Like I know what I have. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's caused from, so I, I am shocked at some of the ENTs, how little they've, they understand stuff. Yeah. I've had, I've had probably, I think, three separate students, or not students of mine, but people have done the Skype things with me that were in the process of about to get surgery, right, to fix their ear issues. And I'm like, no, don't get surgery. Learn how to do Frenzel, right? The reason you have all these issues is you don't know how to do Frenzel. And the, the doctor, the ENTs, they don't know squat about uh, about uh, Frenzel and Valsalva. In fact, I actually taught an ENT how to do Frenzel once. Uh, it was pretty funny. But um, so <laughs> – uh, the best, so the best way to do that is the only really way I'm aware of finding one that knows what they're doing is called Dan, right? So I don't know how big they are in Australia, but in the U S they're pretty good. And you can call divers alert network and say, Hey, I need an ENT that knows what the hell's going on with diving. And so that is, you know, a resource that I share with students. Cause if you need one, you know, you want one that's related to diving. So that's really the, the best advice I can give you as far as how to make that happen. 
Cool. All right. I guess another option just off the top of my head would be to call call up your local dive store, either scuba or um, spearfishing or freediving stores, and they, they might be able to know because they're in the know they in, in that particular area. And so, oh, well, that's, that's, that's some good information for them. No worries. So you, you did sort of um, hint at it. Uh, most guys should learn Frenzel to overcome many of the issues they face. Can you just briefly describe the difference between Valsalva and Frenzel methods for equalizing and sort of where, where they're appropriate to use and when they start becoming a pain in the ass, if you like? So, uh, you know, what I've found is half the people that dive equalized by Frenzel. Half the people equalize Valsalva. And the people that do Valsalva, no one taught them I mean, excuse me, the people that do Frenzel, no one taught them how to do Frenzel. It just happens the way they naturally equalize. So Valsalva, uh, the reason so many people do Valsalva is uh, scuba instructors like myself, that's what we teach, right? When I taught equalizing in scuba class, I can teach someone to do Valsalva in 15 seconds, right? So I got some little kid in front of me. All right, hey, Johnny, do you know how to equalize your ears? Uh-uh. Okay, Johnny, I want you to pinch your nose. Can you do that? Uh-huh. Now blow your nose. Uh-huh. You feel that? Uh-huh. That's it. Do it early and often, right? Boom. I taught him how to equalize. Pinch your nose and blow. <laughs> it takes like yeah. 15 seconds to teach someone that. And so that's what that's what people are taught. And for scuba, that works fine. You can be a technical diver and scuba dive to 500 feet using Valsalva. It will work just fine. And so the problem is you, you – you think that, you know, well, I can scuba dive to 100 feet. There's no reason I can't free dive to 30 feet, right? Well, now that method uh, becomes completely limiting as a free diver, and there's a, a several reasons why. So uh, when you do Valsalva, you're basically taking the air in your lungs and you're trying to shove it up into your ears, right? And so that's why you feel when people do Valsalva, you can actually visibly see their chest and stomach pumping, right? They're trying to push that air up into the ears. So as a scuba diver, generally speaking, you're in the water, you're going to be head up, foot down. You're going to be in that kind of orientation. And so where does the air mm. naturally want to go? Right to your ears where you need it, right? You take a breath mm -hmm. off your scuba regulator, what happens to the size of your lungs? <sighs> Fully inflated, right? Yeah. So in fact, equalizing on Valsalva on scuba under most circumstances is no different than you guys equalizing right now sitting down in a chair, right? You're the same orientation <laughs> and your lungs are the same size. Now you turn to a free diver. Now you're heading down head up, feet down. Where does the air want to go? Up to your fins. Yeah. Where do you want it? Down by your head. What's happening to the size of your lungs? Shrinking, 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 right? I mean, at 33 feet, your lungs are half the size they were, right? So that's why that method just doesn't cut it for free diving. And if so until you're doing Frenzel, you're going to be stuck at probably around 15 to 30 feet. Now, there's a, you know, all these, you know, especially if you dive down straight down. Right. So I've seen people, you know, do Valsalva down to 70 feet. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Right. He's diving down. Then every 10 feet, he turns around, puts his head up, equalizes, then goes back down. Then 15 <laughs> feet later, he turns around, you know, and I'm like, shit, you could dive to 150 feet if you didn't have to do that. Right. So, you know, and also that also leads to, you know, people that 
can they might can spearfish at 50 feet using Valsava, but they go down at at a 45 degree angle because the 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 you know going down straight is extremely almost impossible for Valsava. But if you start to shallow out that angle, it makes it easier. And so you you know you're getting this really poor technique of you know getting down to 50 60 feet. I mean it, obviously you don't want to be going down at a 45 degree angle to do that. You want to be going down straight. So you know people have all these you know workarounds, but they just they suck, right? You want to be able to do frenzel. Yeah. Okay, so what's the what what's can you just briefly describe the frenzel technique in action? What does it look like? Sure. So, you know, like I said, before Valsava is taking the air in your lungs and shoving it into your ears. Frenzel, on the other hand, is taking the air that's in your mouth and shoving it into your ears, right? So you're you're taking the air that's in your mouth, you're shoving it into your ears. The other difference is when you do Valsalva, your throat's open, right? So that air from your lungs can go into your ears when you do valsalva your throat has to be completely shut right so mm. that's the thing it's being able to shut the throat and and move the air so as far as you know the next question you're going to ask is well how do you do frenzel right well <laughs> you know so i always tell people you know the people that you know anyone that's going to hire me on the internet to pay me to teach them how to do frenzel i always say like well i guarantee you before you you paid me you went on the internet and said how do you do frenzel and i'll tell you exactly what you found you found in order to do frenzel use your tongue as a piston and push the air in your station tube and then if you did lots of research you'd find in order to do frenzel put your soft palate in the neutral position and use your tongue as a piston and push the air in your station tube and if that was <laughs> of, if that was of any value i wouldn't be doing these damn skype sessions all the time i'd just tell them use your tongue as a piston and i'd be done with it right so yeah it's one of those things it's it's tricky Right. I mean, yes, you're using your tongue, you're taking the air that's in your mouth and you're pushing it in your station tubes. But it's just I mean, that's why there's people all over the Internet going, how the hell do you do friends? Well, I can't do it because it's just it's kind of it's tricky. Right. Um, one of the things yeah. you can, one of the things you can do to tell which one you're doing is definitely people doing Valsalva you're going to feel their chest and stomach pumping every time they equalize, right? If you say equalize five times in a row, put your hand on the stomach, you'll feel pump, 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 right? And so that's definitely the issue is that you're doing Valsava and that will, will that will, that's the reason they have all of these issues, right? And you see people on the internet saying, all right, one ear doesn't go and this ear, you know, after I dive for, you know, an hour, I can't equalize anymore. All these symptoms that they all have, almost all because uh, of Valsava. Now, um, another yeah, okay pointer I would give you, regardless of which method you're doing, is, you know, even if I do a dive, even when I do a free dive to 280 feet, I feel no pain or pressure on my ears whatsoever because I'm constantly equalizing before I feel pain or pressure. I never feel pain, never feel pressure. I keep my hand on my nose the entire time and it stays in that position, right? I see videos of spear fishermen, they pinch their nose and they put their hand over the head like Superman and then they go back and they pinch their hand on the nose and they put their hand over the head like Superman and they're doing this hand back and forth business, which from a you know streamlining point just doesn't make any sense. Keep the hand on the nose and then just equalize that the whole way down. Cool. All right, yeah, some of the other things that some of the guys identified were they didn't have their head in the proper neutral position. Sure. And uh, and that was another common one. And uh, descending too quickly and, you know, like you sort of identified, like early and often is still the rule and there should never be any um, painful feeling of pressure. Yeah, if your ears are hurting, you are do definitely doing something wrong, right? It should not your ears should not hurt when you're equalizing correctly. So the other thing they can do is uh, pre-equalize on the surface. So the idea is right before you go, I mean, take a breath, spit your snorkel out, pre-equalize your ears, 
and then boom, then go, right? Right from the start, right? So get a kind of head on the game. Yeah. Another thing a friend told me, he, uh, he sort of said it about another guy he dives with, and this guy waits till he feels pain, <laughs> and then he's doing a big forceful yeah. uh, equalizing, equalization. And, uh, and he said that's, that guy's just ruining his breath hold as well because – you, like your body's having to contract so many muscles to forcefully equalize like and uh some guys have to talk about having to get upright and all the rest of it uh, so you think a lot of it's just linked back to not using frenzel i can as well. almost i can almost guarantee it right i i have never i have seen i mean i've probably taught over 500 people how to do frenzel to do these one-on-one skype sessions i've i mean i've taught a lot of people how to do this and once they they all have these various problems, all these problems you just listed, they have. You know, my one ear goes, mm-hmm. the other one doesn't. I have to turn it upside down. My ears hurt. I can't dive after an hour. I can't dive after two days. Right, all fixed once they do frenzel. Yeah, awesome. Okay, I'll, I'll link that up in the show notes so people can come and find you and take you up on one of your equalizing sessions if they want to. So I know one of my friends here in Brisbane's done it. That's how we sort of learn about you. So I know they work. So all good. Trek, my diving of late has improved out of sight. And do you know why? No. Because I, I picked myself up a copy of 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing. Wow. Is that why your hunting techniques have improved as well? Not just my hunting techniques, my free diving, my breath hold, and my awareness. Wow. You really are a Spiro 2.0. Yes, that's right. I really am a Spiro 2.0, as per Chapter 7, I believe. Spiro 2.0. <laughs> and it's all thanks to... 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. Now, where did I find it, you ask? On (laughs) Amazon.com. That's right. So get on Amazon.com and check it out. But in all seriousness, it's a great book compiled from over 40 contributors. Absolutely fantastic. And you will improve your diving, guaranteed, if you read that book. There's tips there from legends like Rob Allen and Chris Coates out of South Africa to Simon Tripp and uh, some other Aussie guys. Lots of Aussie guys. Lots of Aussie guys. I think there might even be some New Zealanders in there. Dwayne Herbert. Dwayne Herbert. Darren Shields. We've got Cameron Kirkconnell. A couple from myself there. I put myself in that same league. Yeah, so look, a Turbo's ones, we, we glazed over them. <laughs> and uh, look, I took, I often took 10 of Turbo's tips and punched them into one so you get good value for money. Find it cheap on Amazon.com. 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. Now it's, uh, Ted, time to have a look what's in your dive bag, mate. If you could tell us uh, some of the little pieces of kit you got in your dive bag that you absolutely love and you could recommend to uh, other new divers out there. Okay, so um, I use uh, Oceaner wetsuits, right? So there uh, I use the Oceaner Rec 45. Uh, it's an awesome, awesome high-performing suit. Uh, Jeremy Gamble from Spirit Magazine, uh, he has one of my suits, uh, loves it. Um, they're great suits. They're made of Yamamoto 45, They are, so it's super, super flexible. Um, the problem is they're just. It's a smooth skin. No, so it's got the Rec 45 has got a coating on the outside, so it's got a light. So it's not not like a competitive freediving suit that's all rubber that a spearfish uh, will yep. rip up into pieces. It's uh, it's got <laughs> it's got uh, a coating on the outside, and then it's um, you know open cell on the on the inside. Uh, so that's the wet suit that I use. Um, the uh, the the mask, you know, for a freediver, freediving instructor, they're mostly all going to be wearing the Sphera, right? Which is, you know, it's the, for for what we do, there's really nothing better than that. Super low volume. It's uh, you know, it's because it's got a plastic lens. It's one of the few masks that actually compresses at depth, so the volume actually gets smaller, right? So we have to use less and less air to equalize that mask, right? And you know, if you go to a freediving competition, if they're wearing a mask, 
They'll all have different wetsuits. They'll all have different fins. They'll all have different computers. They'll all be wearing the Sphera, right? So for what we do, it's amazing. Um, I have a lot of spear fishermen that come to the program, and they'll uh, they'll use it just for the class, right? Because a lot of spearfishers don't like to use it for spearfishing because it, it 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 does it distorts the vision because the it's glass instead of it's plastic instead of glass, so the index of refraction is different, and the curve makes a distortion. Now. It doesn't bother me because that's the mask. Your brain gets used to it. Like if I put on a glass mask, it looks distorted and weird to me. So a lot of spear fishermen don't like to use it because of that. But I've got a lot of spear fishermen that goes with the program and they they like it for what they do in the class. They just – like if they do free diving training, they wear the spear. And if they go spear fishing, they wear whatever they normally wear. Um, so I use that. Uh, one of my favorite things is a good rubber – Thick rubber figure eight snorkel keeper, right? All those snorkel keepers that the snorkels come with, they're crap. Throw them away, especially if you want to do put the snorkel up the right way. So I've done, uh, I did a, uh, that's one of the columns I did for Spiri Magazine, how to set up the snorkel. I think, and um, I don't know if I have a video on that, but I think I may have it on my website. But and and you you need one of those figure eight uh, uh, snorkel keepers to do that. Um, and I like the ones that are thick. There's a lot of cheap ones that, that they'll sell that are really thin and they don't hold the snorkel really well. So I'm very particular about that snorkel keeper. So I love that. Um, okay, the we'll fin- try and link that up. And then the fins that I use are I use uh, I'm using deep apnea. Okay. Deep apnea by fins. Yeah. All right. Cool. What's your mono fin? Uh, it's a glide. So I've had the I started with the uh, the Nemo and then um, when I was getting started and then I got a glide and I've had that thing since. 2011 but uh I, I love that thing i just uh unfortunately don't get a chance to use it because i haven't been competing in two years i've been too busy running the stupid business i haven't been had any time to go do competitions <laughs> but i'm gonna go i'm actually gonna compete next year so i'm really excited about that where's the competition next year and what one are you going in so i'm going to deja blue so performance freediving runs a, right. a competition every year uh in grand cayman it's awesome uh, i've been there many many years uh, I didn't go. The last year I went was in 2014. I didn't go in 2015. And then and they were like, why the hell didn't you come? I said, oh, no, I'll be there next year. And I didn't come that year. And so I, I'm telling them, no, 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 I'll be there next year. They're like, look, you're saying that for the past two years. And I said, look, I sat down and I talked to my boss and I said, if I don't get to go that next year, I'm quitting. Right. So <laughs> I'm going and my, and my boss is me. So I'm definitely going to be there <laughs> next nice. year. I love self-talks. <laughs> love it. <laughs> they're the hardest ones and explaining them to others is generally pretty awkward too uh, that's pretty cool love your dive bag it's completely different to what we normally have yeah. can we backtrack and get your funniest story maybe well it could be the the uh john did you guys see this the seasick one uh, the, uh no tell, two, us, two, tell us your seasick story so so this is just a, a pet peeve of mine so i've been in the dive industry for a long time i take you know some, when I was in the Keys, you know, I worked on a busy dive boat. We would take 24 people out in the morning, 20 people out in the afternoon. You know, I work nonstop. I mean, you do the math, and you know, easily I've taken over 50,000 people, you know, in and out uh, uh, on these boats. And then obviously I'm continuing doing that on my boat with the free diving. So one of my pet peeves is people that get seasick. I don't care about getting seasick. I used to get seasick all the time, right? My dad used to take me out, you know, fishing, and I get seasick all the time. I hated it, um, and. But the thing is that people that get seasick and refuse to admit that they are seasick, 
right? That just drives me insane. No, 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 it's not. I'm not oh, seasick. I, I, I just didn't get enough sleep last night. No, no, I'm not seasick. It's the it's the Gatorade I had. No, 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 I'm not seasick. It's the you know it's the what I had for breakfast. I mean that. I mean the, so. I mean I've had people that are like, look, Ted. No, no, no. I, I I'm not seasick because once I go underwater, I feel totally fine. So I'm like I'm like so yeah. So when you're on the surface where the seas are, you feel sick. Uh, seasick. No, no, no. Because when I'm underwater, I, I, I feel absolutely fine. I'm like, yeah. So yeah. when you're on the surface where it's waves and you're bouncing around, that's that's where you get sick. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm not seasick. Right. So like, I, I I don't get it. Like, just say you're seasick. That's what I happens yeah. to me. Right. When I'm throwing up and it's rough, it's because I'm seasick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, yeah. You can't argue when there's a little bit of vomit coming down your chin on your wetsuit. You're seasick. Like yes. it's. Uh, it's Tur- Turbo can relate 100%. Oh, he is a... I love a good chuck. Yeah, oh. he does. We Turbo put together a blog post a long time ago, Ted, uh, on newspair.com for seasickness, like 10 tips to overcome it. Yep. And uh, a columnist from the BBC found our article on the website probably six months ago and emailed in and asked us if we had any pointers about an article she was writing. And uh, so I ended up sort of bedding down and doing like six hours of academic research into motion sickness and seasickness. And it's pretty interesting, like um, how, how, how connected to sort of your, your, your internal beliefs about being seasick um, sort of affect you. Oh, for sure. Mm. But uh, I've got to say, though, every time we go out and Luffy goes, don't take your seasick pills, mate. It's going to be flat as a tack. You're going to be fine. I end up on all fours on the deck vomiting on myself. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, he looks like um, probably a scene out of The Exorcist oh, too. Oh, mate. It's a mess. Anyway. <laughs> it's the crying I can't stand. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, you can't control the tears, mate. They come, all right? <laughs> all right. So next part of the oh, show. Okay. and probably... Hold on. I got, I got the, the funny story. All right. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So I was at the... the uh, World Championships in 2011, the Freediving World Championships, and um, that was the year I broke the U.S. dynamic record, and because I did well, I actually made it to the finals, right? So I made it to the finals, and in the finals, I got to compete head-to-head against William Truebridge, right? So here it is <laughs> at the World head. Championships, right? Yeah. So, so the funny part of the story is I about six months after the uh, – after it happened, I found the video footage of it, right? So it was, you know, because it's it's actually it's a sport there, all right. I mean, so they like, you know, you know, they shut down the whole town, right? And they have parades around the city, and the people throwing beads out the window. The kids come to the opening <laughs> ceremony to get their autograph from their favorite free diver. Not you, not you. You suck. I want the autograph. From them. Like, it's, a, it's a real deal, right? I mean, you, we go out to dinner and. People are, you know, are waiting in line and then, you know, something about freediving comes up and they're like, oh, yeah, apnea? Hell yeah, I'm apnea, right? And they just push us right up to the front of the line and we got to sit down immediately. So it's a big deal over there. So I found the footage and it was the TV footage. So here it is, me and William Trubridge. So the announcer is like, so we have, you know, William Trubridge, arguably one of the best freedivers in the entire world, you know, Galen from New Zealand, and we have, you know, Ted Harty from America. And so, and you can see them starting it. Oh my gosh, William's foot, he is just beautiful in the water. He is so graceful. He glides through the water. His technique is perfect. And the American, he's, uh, how do we say, using his knees, which is like the biggest 
biggest yeah. cut like you can ever get. So, so then it's just praise, praise, praise about William Truebridge and and on their turning and and already the American is at the surface, but William is still going. He is still going. William's now turned at 200 meters and he's pushed off the wall. And the American is leaving the pool, but William is still going. Right. So I'm just like waiting for him to be like, and the American is eating a cheeseburger because he's fat. Right? So, I could say my uh, claim to fame is uh, I went head to head against William Truman and got my ass kicked, surprisingly. <laughs> so after that experience, I signed up for his master program uh, that later that year and went down and, and learned from him. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, if you can't beat him, join him. Yeah, he's a he's a freaking nature that guy. Just yep. a typical Kiwi. <clears throat> oh yeah, what happened to you? <laughs> I'm from New Zealand as well, Ted. You can probably tell from my resonant podcasting interview techniques. Unlike Turbo. Oh my god. Oh. Unlike Turbo with his nasal Australian two stroke like voice. <laughs> oh mate, you're a clown. Uh, all right, last part of the show, Ted. Um bear with us. Fast five facts for noobs. So these are sort of five actionable Bits of advice uh, straight from the hip that you would like to have had starting out spearfishing all over again. Yeah. So, you know, first advice, I'm sure anyone would say, or I know people say all the time is, you know, go take a course. Um, you're just, you know, from a safety standpoint, there's just so much stuff that you're going to learn. And it's just a lot more effective way to do it than trying to poke around on the Internet, try to figure out something to do. So certainly I would say, you know, take a course. I've had guys I had a guy in the last course last weekend, you know, been spearfishing for 25 years. And it's like, why the hell didn't I do this 20 years ago? Um, so first thing to be say, take a course. Secondly, um, second piece of advice I would give is, you know, do it safely. It's not it's not that hard to be safe. I mean, simply, you know, dive in the team, right? And and look at it as not competing against two people. Look at it as is hunting as a team, right? So Jeremy Gamble, you know, from Spearing Magazine has taken the program and his whole point is look, now that that when the boat goes out, the three of us hunt in a team as opposed to all three of us fighting against each other. We put more dead fish in the cooler anyway. And so I always just tell the spearfisherman to think of that, think of that not dying thing as just a little bonus, right? Just focus on the fact that if you hunt in a team, right, you can actually share information and get more fish that way. Because if you look at like, you know, these top guys that are getting these massive fish that are in all these magazines and stuff, they're not by themselves. It's a team effort, right? But, you know, unfortunately the spearfishing, you know, community is very competitive and that's what kind of lends to that, you know, anti-safety stuff is they're too busy competing against each other. Um, another piece of advice, uh, you shouldn't be frantic, right? We, you want to try, especially when you're new, you're excited and you're sprinting around and your heart rate's elevated, right? That's just going to rob your bottom time. And it's hard, especially when you're new because you're excited and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, if you look at the really good spear fishermen, they look pretty calm and relaxed when they're out there, right? So because they're, you know, they're slowing their breathing down, they're trying not to sprint around all over the place. So definitely anything you can do to slow yourself down uh, from a breathing standpoint and just a physical motion standpoint is going to be, is going to be helpful. Um, you know, if you want more bottom time, spend more time on the surface, right? The longer that you rest on the surface is going to translate into a longer dive. And certainly, you know, you'd rather you'd rather get it done on one dive than have to keep going up and down in the same spot. Cool. Okay. All yeah. right. What are we up to? I think that was four. Yeah. We're going with four. You need one more just to round you out, Ted. Sorry, mate. It's, uh, it's an obligation. So 
the other one would be um, when we're when you're spearfishing, you want to make a habit of as soon as you take a breath, spit the snorkel out of your mouth because if we're diving with the, and a lot of guys dive with the snorkel in the mouth, right? And that's fine. It'll be absolutely fine unless you were to black out because what happens is if you black out and the snorkel's in your mouth, that water is going to funnel straight in the snorkel and it's going to go right directly into your lungs, right? So the idea is we want to spit the snorkel out of our mouth so that, you know, God forbid, if we were to black out, if the snorkel's not in your mouth and you black out, the water pressure is going to shut your mouth. And so the water won't go in. But if you black out with the snorkel in, the waters can go directly into your lungs. So we've definitely seen uh, situations where buddy team is out spearfishing. One guy blacks out, has a snorkel in his mouth. The guy is doing what he's supposed to be, and he's actually close enough to grab and knows how to do safety and rescue, goes and rescues him. And then the guy's in the hospital for a week because he's got pulmonary edema, he's got water in the lungs, and everything goes bad once we get water in the lungs. So the number one rule of freediving is protect the airway. So that's why we want to spit the snorkel. All right, awesome. We got some um, heavy um, um, buddy protocol stuff today, some awesome safety tips, some great uh, equalizing stuff. Uh, guys can come and check out Immersion Freediving on Facebook. I'm going to link that up in the show notes. What else would you like them to go and have a look at, Ted? Um, so I put out, uh, I started about a month ago, a series of one-minute uh, videos called Tuesday's Tips um, that are all geared toward uh, safety and for spearfishing, right? So I like the idea of short videos. It gets the point across quickly. And so those video cover things like how to tell if you're overweighted or not, uh, covers uh, – how to uh, you know why how to set up for a safety standpoint when you're out spearfishing what safe uh, safety looks like um, discusses the fact that uh, you know why you wouldn't know something was going wrong if you were to black out so it's just some very simple things I'm going to be continuing uh, adding to those and I just like the idea that you know look you're a spear fisherman there's no course near you you can't afford a course you can't get time off work. And I don't like the idea, well, because of that, therefore, I just don't know how to do things safely. Like, let's let's at least, you know, it's the internet that you should be able to get some good information on safety, which is what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah, cool. Good All stuff. right, so I'll link up Immersion Facebook. Uh, they can come and follow you and check out all the videos that get released over time. You also talked a bit about Spearing Magazine. Do you regularly write for them, do you, yes, uh, Ted? I've been doing that since 2013, right? So I've been writing oh, cool. write, write every, uh, every issue. So that's for four times a year. So I'm, ex I'm excited because there's a, a my website is going, uh, going to be launched within two, three weeks, something along that lines. And I like it because it's going to have uh, an information side. So a blog where I can basically put all those articles that I've written for Spearing Magazine. Um, and so I can basically be a lot more effective at sharing information because I, I put a lot of stuff on safety on Facebook but you know, you make a post and it just disappears, right? So yeah, I like the idea yeah. of these articles being on the website, so they're permanent. So people, you know, customers can, if they just want to, you know, maybe they don't want to take a freediving class, or they don't want to take a class for me, but they can at least get some good information on freediving. So I'm excited about that. And then the other thing I'm excited about is, it's something I've been wanting to do forever, is create a video that will teach Frenzel, right? So. I know how to teach friends. I've taught over 500 people to do it over these Skype sessions. But the problem is I have to be sitting in my house for that to happen. Secondly, I've got to coordinate my schedule with their schedule. A lot of times people call me and they're going on a trip and they're like, I need to do it like 
two days and I'm, I don't have the time. So what I've d- done is, and I've almost finished, is in a process of basically putting all of that in a video course where the students can basically, you know, just do it whenever they want. If they want to sit on the couch and in their underwear and learn how to do friends, all they can do it. They don't need to, they don't need to, you know, get awesome. in touch with me. So I'm excited to launch that. And that'll, um, uh, that may not launch, launch as soon as the site does, but that's definitely gonna be the first thing I want to do. All right. I'll link that up, man. It's been awesome to get you on the show. I've wanted to have you on for a long time. Got some phenomenal stuff out of today. I actually enjoyed hearing the William Trubridge story for the second time. That was, that was great. And, and, uh, good to hear about your, your awesome knee technique. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed it and uh, enjoyed being on the show for sure. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Noobs Bureau podcast and uh, a big thanks to Ted Hardy. Um, Absolute gold there on all things equalization and uh, I hope it helps you equalize and improve your equalization and uh, get you that little bit deeper down to where the fish are. So thanks, Ted. And coming up next fortnight, we have our 101 episode on drones. Shrek's gone out and bought himself a beautiful little drone that he's been practicing with. And uh, we're going to interview some experts on uh, what drone you should buy for spearfishing and uh, how to use it to take good footage whilst out spearfishing. So uh, Shrek's pretty keen on that one. So that'll be an absolute cracker. So thanks again for joining us on today's show, um, and I hope you get out there soon and uh, shoot some fish. Now, today's show was proudly brought to you in partnership with spearfishing.com.au. Adreno have also put together a code for listeners of the Noob Spiro podcast where they can save $20 on all purchases over $200. That's right, punch in the code Noob Spiro when you buy your next spear gun or wetsuit at spearfishing.com.au and save yourself 20 bucks. It's a no-brainer. Shop with our sponsors, Adreno at spearfishing.com.au and support the Noob Spiro podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. It was an absolute cracker. I thought I was exceptional. Shrek, you, you're okay. So <laughs> if you would like to connect with us further, get on to noobspiro.com and check out our email newsletter. It comes out once a month. It's full of the happenings and goings on around the place and some great deals on there from our sponsor, Adreno. Now, further than that, if you are a fan, need a new shirt or even just a grease rag, check out Noob Spiro's new line of shirts. Uh, so that's in our store there. And Shrek, what can they do if they want to become truly a master of spearfishing? Yeah, look, Noob Spiro podcast is always about helping people to become better Spiros. And we have condensed and combined some of that information along with our own experience into an ebook that you can find on Amazon.com. It's called 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing, the actionable information you need to improve your spearfishing. Also, guys, quick request. uh, Wherever you listen to the show, leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and uh, it's always good to be chatting with you. Looking forward to getting in your ears again in another fortnight. Thanks for listening, guys, and hope you nail a big one.